0: Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing, I'm Peter Switzer, thanks for joining me and yes I am back from Greece, had a great break, bit of business in London first and then a bit of a break in Greece, uh, very high coming back to uh, normality after those wonderful days sunbaking and swimming in the wonderful waters of the Peloponnese. But still, I'm back and I didn't take my off the markets and I would like to share with you well, I think it's going on. Before I do that, let me tell you who's on the show tonight. We've got June Bae Lu from Tribeca Alpha Plus. I'll be seeing how she's investing right now. Then we have Anthony Doyle of uh, the fund manager Fire Trail, And we'll look at all the big issues that you need to be aware of if you're making decisions about whether you should be investing right now or whether you should hold fire and wait for some big information to be released, particularly out of the US uh, this week and in coming weeks. And then we'll talk to Angus Moore of Prop track to see what's going on in the housing market at a time when house prices are about to fall. I noticed that Baron Joey the fund manager apparently is talking about a 25 percent fall in house prices. I think that will probably prove to be wrong but you know it's guesswork when it comes to this sort of thing. So before I kick off the, the, the rest of the program let me just give you a, a few ideas about why I think it's going on right now. The big story for this week will be the Federal Reserve on Wednesday in the US so therefore we'll find out what happens on Thursday. Will they raise interest rates by 0.75% or by 100 basis points or 1%? If they do I think the stock market will really be negative about this. If they come up with a more uh, nice view on the future, well then the stock market might like it. But I'm not betting that the Federal Reserve will be saying anything that could be soft uh, or accommodating and so I'd be holding my breath and holding my money till I see what they have to say uh, on Wednesday night effectively our time and therefore Thursday morning our time. Uh, I, I, I personally have recently invested in a company that I thought was a really good company that had been really over smashed by the market. My view is that this company was certainly uh, priced at a very low level, and I think this time next year I'll be very happy that I've done that. I also got confidence from the fact that a guy by the name of Dustin Moscovich, who's the CEO of a company called Asana, a big US company, recently invested $349 US doll- billion, sorry, million dollars, 349 US dollars into his own company. I love to see a CEO who really backs his own judgement and backs his own company. And a lot of CEOs are doing that sort of thing at this moment. And I think it's a confirmation that a lot of smarties really do believe that prices have got too low. That's part of the reason why I think Tyro received an offer from private equity because the share price got too low and private equity knows that in a year or two years time a company like that's going to be doing a lot better when the stock market's on the rise. In the Switzer report, uh, in fact today, I wrote about four or five companies that I think are really great quality companies have been beaten up by the stock market. One is Goodman Group. Uh, there, the analysts think there's about a 27% rise going forward. I think ANZ's not a bad bet. Uh, Credit Suisse and Citi think there's a 23% rise ahead for a company like that. Zero is one of the best tech companies in, in the country. Uh, one analyst thinks there's a 77% rise possible for Zero. You've got JB Hi Fi, without doubt the best retailer in this country. Um, big rises predicted um, you know, for, for um, uh, uh, JB Hi Fi. Around 12% on average, but there are some with much bigger predictions. And you've got South 32. A good diversified uh, miner. I think this is a company that could also do well because of its diversification. This chart here, this table, actually shows you what all analysts think about South 32. Look, every one of them like the company, and the range goes up from 34% to 36%, and the lowest is uh, about 15%. So you can see most analysts think this is a company heading in the right direction. This is the right time, as long as you're a long term investor to look around for those quality companies, that even if you get it wrong in the short term, you're still holding a good quality business that over time will be very rewarding. So that's my my take on where we are in the market right now. Uh, Anthony Doyle will also give you his take when things might improve um, for people playing the market. But for now, let's go to June Bayloo of Tribeca Alpha Plus. Well, it's a tricky time for the market right now. It's all caused because of the uh, inflation number in the US. Let's just see how Junbei Lu is reacting to it, how she's investing as a consequence of that number. How are you going?
1: I'm very good and I think, uh, based on your question, that I'm actually turning a little bit more bullish at this point now.
0: Okay. Mm. So were you a little bit negative last week when I was away?
1: Uh, <laughs> I was away. I was in the US for a couple of weeks. Ah. Look, the mar- market rallied very hard, remember, in July and everything, and yep. that's when we, we chat earlier. Um, and uh, there was just a little bit of uh, exuberance in terms of, oh, you know, we had a terrible June now, we just rallied back. Mm. Um, reporting season was okay, it was pretty good. Okay. And uh, and then market sort of become a little bit um, um, complacent about where the rate is going and then the long. And rates started falling and mm. things, so you kind of just see tactically there's a bit of short-term um, sort of risk volatility to come, yeah. um, and then now you see that come out quite quickly. <laughs> you know, a lot of expensive companies and cyclical companies being sold off a lot yeah. um, on the basis of we are start seeing a bit more profit warnings um, out of the U.S. Yeah. Uh, still, still, you know, conditions still pretty good. I just got back from the U.S. Mm. went to consumer conference and a couple of seeing a couple of other businesses. Yeah. Um, things are still co- going pretty good, yeah. but they are especially the retailers in the U.S. now becoming a little bit worried about uh next couple quarters because they are holding a lot of inventory like us but Mm. they're further down the track because their lower end they said the bottom quartile consumer are now really struggling quite a bit
0: yeah Mm. but but in many ways that's a problem on one hand Mm. that should be a good thing for inflation shouldn't it if Mm. inventories are high retailers will start slashing prices That will f- filter into inflation, mm. and then filter into interest rate expectations, which could be good for the overall stock market.
1: Uh, but possibly. Mm. So uh, next few quarters, you'll start seeing discounting. By March next year, discounting will be severe, mm. um, because uh, you know past the peak season, everything yeah. needs to be cleared. Um, only thing is, though, labour um, cost seems to be on the way up. That's yeah. very difficult to control, and you can't pass that on. So, but that's the only th- inflationary pressure that's kind of looks like a little bit structural at this point. But mm. everything else seems to be falling. Away quite quickly.
0: Okay. Um, the inflation number last week was disappointing. Mm. Um, I know some indicators, indicators suggest that US inflation has peaked, mm. though it's not showing up in the official data mm. Mm. yet. If we got a, a better than expected number on, on October 13, do you think the market would really love to see that?
1: Oh, absolutely. Uh, market's looking for some signs of uh, stabilization, uh, of things getting better, just coming off the peak. Um, mm. And um, you know that's why in the UK and Europe that people are very worried because inflation is still escalating. Mm. Uh, and the last inflation read in in the US, uh, the thing is that some of the core inflation look like it's just creeped up a little bit. Mm. Um, so that's why it got market concerns. My view is that it should start to pe- come off now. Mm. Every company we have heard from, have talked to, um, you know, consumer a little bit tougher. And every forward indicator. It's just matter of time before we get there for the US.
0: Yeah. Are you investing now or or, or do you want to wait to see what the Fed says on Wednesday?
1: No, I actually think now is the time to start buying those businesses that's been sold off. For me, I think to be defensive is important in this market, but Mm. to be defensive is not about buying you know, supermarkets or, you know, these type of businesses, it's actually a buying about some of the quality growth tr- companies, mm. um, because they will grow regardless whether there's a recession or not, right? Okay. So, um, you know, healthcare sits well in that space, and some of the technology businesses sits with well I- within that businesses. Mm. Um, and, and if we do have inflation started coming off, and, you know, the, just given the bond yield has just jumped significantly, um, I do think there's a bit of, um, you know, quite a bit of um, uh, upside, just even in the short term for those structural leaders.
0: Okay. Um, Let's just talk about um, some quality companies that have been beaten up. Um, Like, for example, what do you think of a company like Goodman Group? It's Mm. dropped the fair bit. I think it's probably the best route in the country. What do you think about it?
1: Yeah, look, it's funny you ask because I'm actually just buying some Goodman Group today. Look, you can the the thing about the valuation is that I think it has um, uh, given my views of bond yield. I think it's peaked, and um, you know going to four point three percent long Mm. rate for the U.S. It's pretty much done. Mm. And for quality company like um, Goodman, uh, valuation devaluation is done. So what you're buying now is earnings growth. And I just went to the U.S. and we spoke to every asset manager. We spoke to so many things. There's a lot of demand still for industrial spaces Um, and. You know, it, and then the de- demand is not going to evaporate that quickly. Demand for, um, you know, the data centers, demand essentially the big box, um, those sort of industrial land size is very, very tough. Um, you know, there's so much competition. Um, so I do think that pu- public listed players such as Goodman Group is very much undervalued at this point. Right.
0: Now, we all accept that retail is going to be under mm-hmm. the pressure as people chase services mm-hmm. like going overseas <laughs> to Greece or whatever. That's right. But... Uh, For those people who are long-term investors, is a company like JB Hi-Fi in the buy zone for
1: that sort of person? Um, I think so. However, I do think the share price probably is just not going to go anywhere. Yeah. Um, you know, but if you I'm put missing. a bottom draw, draw, mm. it's fine. Yeah. Um, cash flow will be pretty good. And I think, you know, in Australia, it's still got a couple of good quarters to come. Mm. Um, and uh, next year, calendar year, is probably when you start seeing some weaknesses. But the stock is on 12 times. very cheap. Good cash flow. Probably will be more dividend buyback and these sort of things coming through next 12 months. Mm. So it's probably just not going anywhere. Um, and for the long term, I do think it's um, it will add value.
0: You mentioned tech. Mm. Is zero a company you still like?
1: Oh, I absolutely like zero. So, um, so it keeps touching, price, that's it? right. It just keeps staying in that price. Yeah. And uh, this is in my buy zone range, yeah. um, you know, before people, um, you know, always say, oh, when do you get the very bottom? You never get to the bottom. Yeah. So you only buy, you, you work out a price you want to pay yeah. um, and then you buy it, And this is in this, this range. Yeah. Um, business still doing very well. More recent update it did have a bit of disappointment because of the reopening is a little bit slow for some of the SMEs. Yeah. Um, but net net, the business is doing very well um, in terms of long term winning markets in the UK, um, already one markets here in the markets in the US.
0: I noticed that a lot of uh, US CEOs have been buying their own companies mm. shares. <laughs> is that is that generally a, a pretty good sign that they at least think the markets misprice their company?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, they, um, they they always say there's two things. So they can buy or sell their own shares. Mm. Um, they can sell their own sh- uh, company shares for many reasons. Divorce, tax, so many reasons. But <laughs> they often one. That's right, often <laughs> one, that's right. Uh, or buy houses. Mm. And, uh, but um, buy their own share, there's always one reason, because they feel good about the company yeah. they're in. So, you know, and it's just a, such a strong signal um, that things are going well. Not necessarily mean they know the numbers, but mm. they know there's a good vibe and good things are happening.
0: Yeah, and they, they know that the market
1: is undervalued. Yeah, yeah. is undervalued, yeah,
0: absolutely. Uh, what about when private equity wants to buy a mm. company like Tyro? You and I have talked <laughs> that's about right, Tyro. right, absolutely, yeah. And we've often said, well, it even looks like a takeover target, and mm. sure enough, one comes private mm. equity and throws in an offer. Mm. Is that often a, a good sign that the smarties think, well, this is a, a company that's mispriced, and they're happy to get in, if they can get in a bargain basement price, mm. and ride up the market? over time?
1: Absolutely. So this is the investor base. Um, The private equity is the investor base that can take really long-term view. Um, Not like the listed equity market investors tend to be, oh, you know, got the next three month or whatever performance. So um, they can take long-term view and we will see more and more that coming through the um, the mergers and acquisitions. Um, And I've been told that there are a huge pipeline that is coming through in the next few months.
0: Would that coincide with a belief that the interest rate rising cycle created by the central banks is pretty well close to the top. You already mentioned you think Mm -hmm. that the the long bond rate has already peaked. Mm. So once you have certainty around what you might be borrowing at, Mm. and then you look at assets that you think are mispriced, Mm. does that sort of set itself up for... A mm. big takeover surge?
1: Um, absolutely, it set that self up mm. as, um, and also at the same time uh, so it's easier for them to do the valuation of the business they want to buy because mm. they know how much they, they're already locking in the money yeah. um, and also mm. at the same time it's um, it has you know invariably created the volatility in the share market and they can buy those listed shares mm. so much cheaper because of the higher interest rate and all you know we've seen the share price what share price done mm. you know Goodman Group and Hall, all these names have fallen yeah. significantly um, so we definitely going to see that.
0: Okay many years ago when I interviewed Rene Rivkin, mm. uh, <laughs> Rene always uh, said that you know, the first offer on a takeover is generally generally not the last. Mm. Do you think Tyro will see another offer?
1: Absolutely. Normally they flush out more um, buyers. So the first one is always opportunistic, yeah. um, and um, you know they, they put a price out there, see how they go, mm. and uh, clearly you know you've seen where the share price has gone, and mm. this is a very very little premium uh, relative to the last 12 months share price really. So absolutely, there'll be more coming through. Yeah,
0: yeah, all right. Um, What what do you like, what's what's the the most liked company that you've bought recently? You already mentioned one, Mm. but what's the one that you really think looks fantastic?
1: Look, I think just following up from the reporting season, you know, the treasury wine was a really good result. Share price, um, you know, went up a little bit, but still, you know, there's a lot more to go for Mm. the prices. Does it need
0: China to start being nice to treasury (laughs) wine? or they found new customers. Uh,
1: They found new customers and then China will be additional bonus. If the China does come through, share price will put up another 30% very Mm. quickly. Um, But uh, they found new markets and then they've done really well in terms of their premium label uh, there in the US. Um, I just come back from a trip to see some of their and their competitors, mm. things are going very, very well there. That premiumisation trend is really going very well, mm. um, and brands like you know Treasury it's, like it's very penfold, it's very prestigious.
0: Okay. Mm. Well, I, I I don't think I've ever pointed out a stock that kind of was a bad tip f- <laughs> from you because you never make bad tips. <laughs> but both you and I fell into A two Milk, and yeah. it's starting having a nice recovery. That's right. What, what, what are you seeing about the the, the recovery? Is it giving you confidence that's on the uptrend
1: now? Yeah, so I do like A2 as well. That's yeah. another name that I think, you know, it's been neglected because um, yeah. things have been so tough. Yeah. We've seen them taking share from the result. Yeah. Um, great balance sheet still, um, you know, lots of net cash just sitting on the balance sheet. Um, China's recovering, um, taking market share, um, and- um, What you about know, the U.S.
0: prospect? Are they going to get into the U.S. market? Yeah, U.S., think?
1: look, it's tough. So they got their milk, milk business over there. Yeah. That's kind of breaking the niche. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, the info formula, they kind of missed that in terms of the initial um, that, you know, Mm. those tins to supply the shortage. Mm. Yeah. But look, it's US is going to become a very, very tough market because amount of people have gone in there now as a, you know, as a competition. So uh, it was never going to be material for A2 um, for the next few years, even if they got in, Mm. uh, even if the license turned into long term. So, you know, it was never going to be that material for this business. China is a very big deal. um, And then the rest of the world potentially will go. Do you
0: ever, yeah, before you, go to sleep rather than thinking about individual companies. Think about big issues like China. Is China and Australia going to get better relations and as a consequence Mm. more tourists come back Mm. and students (laughs) students, (laughs) because it's great for the labour market. Are are you sort of thinking that maybe the Albanese government will have more uh, more of a chance to win China over but also China says a few things positive, so mm. it makes it easier to accept some of their unusual ways in recent times. Mm.
1: Look, I certainly feel that they start, at least started mm. talking. Yeah. Um, so previous government, we, they weren't talking. Um, yeah. So the, um, the, the relationship got pretty icy. Yeah. Um, so uh, look, if you look at the, use the example of China with its own neighbours, the relationship it has with its own neighbours all go through, you know, rise and falls yeah. and sometimes last for decades. Yeah. But if you look at the trade China has with other markets, its neighbouring markets just been going from strength to strength. So there may be one or two years of blip, but they always return to the commercial terms and, you know, trade.
0: I never, ever make you talk about mining. (laughs) But do do you invest in miners if you think they're a good buy?
1: Yeah, I do invest in miners. Um, So um, mining is a very different sort of beast when you talk to... that whole sector compared to the quality growth structural Mm. businesses. Mm. Because mining businesses are very much driven by macro, the Mm. top-down view of what the commodity does. Um, It doesn't really matter what business it is, the commodity is down, the share price is down. So it's very much top-down, so you've got to have a pretty clear macro environment. Mm. Um, So right now, mining, I must say, I'm a little bit more neutral-ish on that space. Mm. Um, I still like the battery materials, but they have run pretty hard. Um, So you know if anything, I'll probably take some profit in that space. Um, But the rest of China need, oh, sorry, Rest of the mining sector needs China uh, to stimulate aggressively. And China is stimulating. The problem is the economy is not reopening fully yet. So if anything, probably early next year, you should see sign of revival um, from, you know, in terms of China's growth. (coughs) And then that's good for our mining sector.
0: Okay. What what do you think of a company like South32?
1: Look, I think it's... um, uh, I actually have a little bit of South Thirty Two. I like it for diversification. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Now, I'm not
0: totally ex- excited that it will shoot the lights out, but mm. it just seems it, it has nickel, it has copper, mm. it has metallo- metallurgical mm. coal. Mm. All those sort of things seem to have life going forward.
1: Yeah. Look, it's 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 it. That's right. It's got mm. the, all those little bits doing well. Mm. And also it's got all that um, exposure to, um, you know, alumina and then um, mm. uh, the prices. Really which, which is really, that's right. And then it's very cheap. Yeah. So, you know, this really sits at that value end of the commodity space. Mm. Um, and because it's so cheap that, um, you know, you're actually getting really good dividend and things mm. <laughs> on, on top of it. Mm. So um, so to me, it's actually, in a way, very defensive nature of those businesses mm. compared to the battery material where, you know, earnings probably much further down the track.
0: Okay. Yeah. Let's wrap this up by looking at 2023. Um, and you, know, you, you can say, Peter, you're totally wrong. Mm. But it, I know on one hand the fear is that um, interest rates go too high and the US go, falls into recession. Mm. That won't be great for stocks. I wouldn't have thought f- mm. from the lead that would come out of Wall Street. Mm. But if, if the Yanks can avoid a recession, mm. we've got in the the context of interest rate rises ending either early 2023 or even before, Mm. um, you've got um, the possibility then that that the market will want to go up. Mm. Um, Are you expecting 2023 to be a good year for the stock market?
1: Look, I think it looks um, reasonable if we don't have recession yeah. um, in 2023, because if we do have recession, then all bets are off the yeah. kind of we have to reset. The earnings yeah. too high. Yeah. Um, earnings not priced for it. Otherwise, if you look at it, you know, interest rate sort of expectations already in the market, yeah. we've already gone through the first aggressive pickup in the interest rate. By next year, we're sort of more gradual to wait and see sort of environment. Yeah. Um, so things are not too bad. And hopefully by then inflation, big part of inflation is the coming off. The supply side of it. That's right, yeah, yeah, that's coming off. And then the, um, you know, and then the commodity, soft commodity prices already mm. started falling off as well. So consumer may be in a better place. Um, and
0: what if Ukraine war ends?
1: Yeah, oh, absolutely. Would that be good? The, um, that would be really good. That would be fantastic. Yeah. Only thing is the sanction might not be lifted very quickly. Yeah. Um, so that sort of still provides restriction yeah. um, at that point.
0: But I suspect if Putin is prepared to end the war, mm, he, then he'll have a negotiation. Yeah, that's, the right. that's right. Absolutely. Well.
1: Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. You're right. Yeah.
0: OK. <laughs> I guess it's always uh, valuable to live in hope. That's right. <laughs> that's Jim Lu yeah. of Tribeca Alpha Plus Fund. Well was a big week Uh, once again coming out of the u.s the last time uh, something came out of the u.s was the inflation number last week that didn't help the markets before that jackson hole uh, another uh, federal reserve uh, problem for the market will there be another problem later this week. Uh, Anthony Doyle from Fire Trial, great to see you, mate.
2: Cheers, thanks for having me back.
0: Are you worried about what might come up um, on Wednesday, American time?
2: So last week was all about the inflation data. And that really nailed on um, the 75 basis point increase that we're likely to see from the US Federal Reserve this week. Yeah. Um, so there remains hope that we're likely to see the, the peak in inflation. Last week suggested, guess what? It's probably gonna stick around a little bit longer than many had anticipated. So the Fed really trying to crunch demand. Mm. They don't want inflation to become embedded in either wages or headline inflation. So that's why we're seeing higher interest rates right now. The market doesn't like this uncertainty. That's why it's volatile.
0: Are you um, (coughs) of the belief that 100 basis points are possibility?
2: It's interesting. So I looked at the consensus forecast this morning 10 out of 50 professional economists are expecting exactly that, including some of the big names Mm. on Wall Street. Mm. So it's not out of the realms of possibility. The market's pricing in a 0.8% increase. So they're hedging their bets as you would expect, Mm. Um, but the consensus very much 0.75% increase uh, on Thursday.
0: Um, Because you are an economist, you know that there are really hard to work out lags when it comes to monetary policy, rising interest rates. Um, I wrote today that even our reserve banks said, the lag can be one to two years. Mm. Is it really a possibility that the Federal Reserve in particular is going too hard, expecting a quick bang for their buck, and it may well happen in April or May next year, because they've actually hit pretty hard?
2: absolutely peter Um, you know as well as i do that monetary policy does operate with a lag it does take time for households and businesses to fact in a higher cost of credit and additionally it takes time for these interest rates to roll through Um, as many australians are are facing right now it's a three-month lag from The rba cash rate day to when the mortgage actually jacks up your mortgage
0: you start losing money
2: you're absolutely right peter so it will operate with a lag and what you tend to find is the economy is already slowing um and that may have a a double whammy effect
0: i was interested uh, i don't know if you've seen uh shane Oliver's amp pipeline indicator and that's kind of for the last three months been showing that inflation is falling in the u.s but the official um, data only started to fall a month or so ago, and only by a small amount. Mm. Uh, and so, it's raising the question in my mind: you know, is it possible that on October 13, when we get the next U.S. inflation number, we might get a surprisingly better number because it's like it's been in the pipeline, and the official data catches up.
2: Well, it's interesting how much focus there is on year-on-year numbers. Mm. So, why isn't it 13-month numbers or 14-month numbers? Mm. But uh, inflation is predominantly food and energy, Um, and we know that commodity prices have declined. We know that energy prices have fallen to an an extent, and we know that those year-on-year base effects are starting to roll through now. So that's why the market was so disappointed last week, as Mm. they did expect that we'd seen the peak, and we may begin to start to see a receding of inflation, exactly what you're describing now.
0: And also, rents are pretty big in America, too, in terms of the CPI. Apparently, they're on the on the slide as well. Not here, apparently, but definitely in the US. All right, so let, let's just set the scene for people who don't really understand how you know, economic data can really help or hurt the stock market. If, for example, on October 13, we actually do see a better expected number, would you expect the stock market to react in the opposite way to how it did uh when last week's inflation number came through yeah
2: so predicting and uh trying to make money off these mm. variables okay. is an extremely difficult thing to do particularly in the short term and mm. i know that you advocate you know that long-term perspective as we do at firetrail yeah. certainly yeah. um but uh, how the market reacts to a given economic data point i mean the manic ca- the the market's been described as manic a manic depressive sometimes other times Eternally optimistic. Mm. So I think this market is very much characterised by the glass half empty. Yeah. Um, the market is quite pessimistic today. Yeah. Um, but certainly, what has got everyone up in arms at the moment is just where, we, when are interest rates going to stop rising? Yeah. Um, whether the pace of those interest rate hikes slows or not um, remains to be seen. But that's what the mar- got the market up in arms today.
0: Does monetary policy or interest rate policy work better in Australia because a lot more of us have variable home loans compared to the Americans?
2: So that transmission that we spoke about earlier, the potency of monetary policy in Australia is far greater um, because so many mortgages in the US are priced off a 30-year fixed mortgage rate. And of course, guess what the Americans did when interest Re-financed. rates hit rock-bottom lows, as we all would. Yeah. So today, the 30-year fixed mortgage rate is around 6%, but everyone's locked in their mortgages. So the way that the Americans and the Fed like to impact aggregate demand is by hitting, guess what? The stock market and the bond market. And that's exactly what they're doing. In Australia, of course, our fixed rates of three, five years or variable rates, that monetary policy transmission, that hits our balance sheets much quicker. And this is why you may see a a divergence between the RBA and the Fed. The RBA has already started to plant the seed that they might start slowing those 50 basis point increases, mm-hmm. whereas the Fed, there's no end in sight. Yeah,
0: and I, and I guess it's fair to say that they probably hit those consumers who are looking for sort of personal loans because the, their, their rates would change. And also business would copy it as well because they, they borrow at current rates.
2: Absolutely, yes. Yeah. so um, for anyone interested, they can go on the RBA website today mm. and um, the RBA is doing a great job of highlighting where uh, household interest rates are, mortgage rates, but also small, medium and large business rates as well. So showing that transparency and that visibility.
0: Okay. We know the market is caught between the fear around inflation not peaking as soon as we like, and therefore more interest rate rises, but also the fear of recession on the other side. What's the chances of a recession in the US, high, low, or in between?
2: I'm putting it at a 30% probability today, Um, particularly, and that's rising as we um, see the Fed funds rate increase. Um, But globally, there's certainly concerns emanating from the US europe with high energy prices heading into winter there the uk is probably as pessimistic yep. as i've ever seen 20 you've just come back yep, but 24 exactly. months of uh, recession predicted there from the bank of england
0: 18 inflation city was predicting was unbelievable
2: yeah and australia actually um we're pretty well positioned oh. um you know we aren't facing those ultra high energy costs as an energy importer we're not facing um Rapidly rising agricultural costs um, mm. as we have a huge food base in here as well um, so australia again that's why the rba may actually peter out their interest rate hikes sooner mm. than other central so banks. so your
0: view on recession here is very low
2: much lower um, than uh, globally mm. uh, obviously we're a small open economy a global growth slowdown will impact us um, particularly um, with uh, China now stimulating again. If they start to stimulate, that will help us. Mm. Um, but certainly, I think the US, um, 30% and rising.
0: Okay, now this is a very easy thing for you to predict, the Australian dollar. Uh, <laughs> uh, but a lot of people want to know because they're, they're saying, particularly if they believe that, <clears throat> okay, there will be a turnaround eventually, um, and US stock markets will probably start to rise eventually if it's not late the, this year or 2023. And a lot of locals are saying, well, should I be hedging on the basis that, you know, the A dollar could rise and the US dollar could fall? What's your view on Aussie dollar, US dollar, say into, into mid-2023?
2: So the main determinant of currencies are interest rate differentials. So the difference between where the RBA cash rate is and our bond curve versus the Fed funds rate and the US Treasury curve. Yep. Um so, for the next twelve months i'm bullish on the dollar, um, particularly as the u s dollar the u s dollar of course, yes um, the reason being that as interest rates are rising in the United States, much like here, guess what suddenly it becomes a lot more attractive for Americans, the deepest pool of capital in the world to repatriate their international holdings and bring them home um, yeah. and invest in u s dollar denominated assets, yeah. whether that be a deposit with their bank or whether that be Um, local assets like the housing market, the equity market, or the treasury market. Mm. Um, In Australia, uh, as as I mentioned, a small open economy, um, we're very much uh, seen as a a risk currency. Mm. Um, It's a way that we have quite high exposure to emerging markets via China. Um, And with this environment of uncertainty, our uh, risk aversion is high. Mm-hmm. So people love the safety of the US dollar and I think that that remains for the next 12 months.
0: All right, so after 12 months will, will the focus then go on to the size of the US budget deficit, which also can be a reason to
2: bring the US dollar down.
0: Is that going to be a, a, another factor that we factored in you know, over time?
2: Yeah, it's, it's always a factor. Um, particularly we saw back in 2012 under mm-hmm. Barack Obama the U.S. lose its prize AAA credit rating. um, And we remember the emphasis that the market had placed on that. And guess what happened when it lost it? The U.S. dollar markedly rose because investors became concerned again. The U.S. benefits from that reserve currency status, um, particularly in an environment like we have today. Okay.
0: Um, You'd be surprised to learn that I think that... um the Australian stock market will start to improve sometime in the December quarter. That's been something I've been saying for, for quite some time. Do you agree? I
2: mean, our view is it's time to dig deep um, and, and find those winners um, from the, the market at the moment.
0: Yeah. The sell-off is provide opportunities. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, there's some fantastic companies there. Um, and one statistic that I like to talk to investors about and our clients about is that on any given day, there's a 54% likelihood that you'll make money in the stock market. Why
0: um, 54%
2: Stock markets rise over time, yeah. right? So but this is 54%? going- why 54%, like
0: well, why is it
2: 57.2? 54 up days, 54 <laughs> okay. out of days out of 100 and okay. 46 down days okay. out of 100. Right. Um, but if you extend your time horizon yeah. in total return terms, over the course of five years, an investor in the Australian stock market with that time horizon yeah. actually has always generated a positive return. Mm. Um, so it is time to dig deep. It is a much tougher environment. That said, um, we think that the opportunities are far greater today than they were 18 months ago in a rampant bull market when everything was expensive.
0: And of course, you're saying uh, invest in quality stocks or quality funds.
2: Well, absolutely. <laughs> we have the Trail Australian High Conviction Fund, Small Companies Fund, and of course my fund, the Trail S3 Global Opportunities Fund for the investors looking for that global equity exposure.
0: In the and people do need to have international exposure. How do you manage the 8 dollar? Because you're kind of implying you're, you're expecting the dollar to take off. Um, so how do you manage that?
2: so our fund is unhedged we also offer a hedged version for those clients that want to hedge against the aussie dollar rising Um, so we offer that we also will take out currency forward so we'll hedge where we think that currency is going to swamp the good work that we do on stock selection so we currently have a hedge on at the moment euro versus us dollar which has benefited the fund as euro has sunk through parity with the us
0: thankfully for my holiday it was very nice.
2: Yes, of course. Excellent. Excellent.
0: Um, okay. O- on that subject then, um, is is Europe something that you're holding back on? Because we, we know eventually when the Ukraine war is over, Europe and the European stock markets will benefit from it ending, but we don't know when it's going to end. So it must make it very hard for you to
2: overexpose yourself to Europe. We actually are overweight Europe okay, today So you're gambling on
0: very risky player we're yeah.
2: investors we're not gamblers okay. um, but let me give you the rationale behind okay, that I'll overweight that. to Europe firstly as you mentioned it's extremely cheap yep. we're valuation managers we invest across value and growth okay so we're not biased towards tech companies we're not biased towards utilities we invest simply where the best opportunities lie today we think that that is in Europe that's why we're overweight yeah. But the re- another significant reason is the companies that we own are large international conglomerates yeah. um, and they, their revenues are in- Export income. X, mm. X euros. Yeah. So um, when the euro is falling, that actually benefits these companies. Mm. So an example is a, a leading train manufacturer, Alstom, French based, but 80% of their clients are based offshore. Mm. So the fallen euro has benefited um, many of our European portfolio holdings. Yeah. So that's how we think about it. What
0: about European banks? How are you playing those?
2: No exposure. No exposure <laughs> yeah. to European banks. Okay.
0: All right, so let's go to um, the, the likelihood. I don't, well, you are, you are saying to people, it's time to buy. Would you be surprised if there's not um, an end to interest rate rises in the US in particular? before the end of the year? Would you be surprised if if it's not over one end?
2: I think that we start start to (coughs) see language come out of central banks as they try to manage the market, um, that the pace of interest rates will, interest rate hikes will begin to slow, and we'll start to see the peak in the Fed's fund rate, probably Q1 next year, I would suggest. The RBA is closer um, to potentially pausing on their interest rate hiking cycle. But we might see a very bad CPI print in November, late November. Which will be bad. We'll get a Christmas present from the RBA of potentially another half a percent Mm. cash rate increase. um, Here in Australia, bringing our cash rate. To around 3.35 percent so i would be surprised if we see the peak in um, the fed funds rate this year i think it's probably going to come around q1 Mm. next year Um, and we're operating Mm. then in an environment where i don't expect that interest rates will fall for some time potentially as long as 12 months after
0: will the market require it actually seeing inflation falling or if the language coming out of the feds good enough the market will react to that
2: Well, the market will want to see the Fed change their forecasts, Mm -hmm. first and foremost. And it's extremely difficult for the Fed to start talking about lowering interest rates when the inflation rate is 8.3%. They're petrified of an inflation-induced spiral, um, that they take their foot off the brake too soon and inflation starts to pick up again.
0: Last question, Um, if you look at US inflation, and you can you, you actually can say, I don't know. Um, but what percentage of that inflation is demand caused and other, what percentage is cost caused?
2: Well, in terms of headline inflation, um, you're looking at around 60% from supply side factors. That's cost. That's exactly, yeah. yeah and then 40% aggregate demand. Central banks, they can't impact the global supply no, chain, yeah. they impact demand. Yeah. That's where monetary policy works. Um, increasing the cost of capital on consumers and businesses. And uh, then you also have the double whammy of the federal government beginning to tighten their fiscal reins as well. Mm. So um, that's where they want the impact to have, uh, occur and that's exactly where it is going to occur. Uh,
0: so if we if we rule out a recession happening, is it possible, and this is, by the, way, this is the second last question I'm asking, I've already asked you the last question, um, is it possible then, that we could see the impact of the interest rates really helping to bring down the demand driven inflation. And at the same time, a lot of those cost problems that came out of China and all the COVID related ones also dissipating at the same time. And there could be a, a, a shock drop in inflation Which have been enormous stimulants to stocks, I would have thought.
2: Yeah, of course. I mean, it's entirely what you see in every cycle and every commodity-based cycle um, back to the 1970s. Prices rise, supply responds, demand falls away as price is high. And guess what? You've got a glut then. Uh, This is a classic market response. Okay.
0: And so that could be a really good thing for for lots of stocks, particularly tech stocks they've been smashed because of high interest rates.
2: We're not there today, um, but it isn't without the realms of possibility of occurring.
0: Do you get any tech stocks in your fund?
2: We do, yes, we've got some growth names. um, So we have uh, HelloFresh, which I'm sure many people are familiar with. European, German company. Um, well, it sounds
0: very general when I think about it. I, I accept it as an Australian ad, but that's very general. You should sign up. Um, <laughs>
2: great meals. Um, yeah, uh, you're, you're showing it too. You know, Microsoft as well, yeah. um, so one of the larger Good names. Good German company. Uh, we own a company, no, named, company yeah. named Tenable, yeah. um, which is um, specialises in cybersecurity software, yeah. as we've all moved to working from home. Um, and thinking about uh, the uh, risks that go on yeah. with cybercrime, for example. Yeah. So you're
0: investing in the US as well as Europe. In your of company. course, yeah. And, yeah. And, okay, well, one last, look, there's two companies I want you to talk about then. Um, this is your third last question. Um, Tesla and Zoom. What's your view on that those two companies? Uh,
2: so we are doing the work on Tesla at the moment. Yeah. Um, so the exposure we have to EVs right. is via Volkswagen today. Right. Tried, trades on a PE of four times, um, yeah. and we're actually doing the work on Tesla right now. Yeah. So when I come back, yes, I can uh, yeah. definitely give what you about a Zoom. View. Zoom, um, we haven't done the work on yeah. um, no. So it seems like a company that should benefit <laughs> from
0: all these people wanting to work from home. But yeah. well,
2: I mean, our exposure there is via Microsoft, yeah. right? So, so Microsoft, sure. leader in the cloud, um, yeah. one of the leaders yeah. um, via it says your product now yeah. passing on price increases in the Microsoft Office suite of products as yeah. well. Um, and I'm not sure about uh, Switzer, but we're using Teams uh, rather than Zoom. So um, Microsoft obviously both. dominant. We're of course, I wouldn't expect any less.
0: Okay, good to see you. Cheers Peter. Anthony Doyle of Firetrail.
3: My next guest says that activity in the property market is actually increasing. Joining me now to discuss in this latest uh, research report, is Angus Moore, he's an economist with PropTrack, which is part of the REA Group. Angus, welcome to the program. Good morning, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so despite what we might be hearing, um, it looks like the spring is sort of coming out and, and listings are up and there's more activity in the property market than some of the doomsayers are saying.
4: Yeah, that, that's exactly right. Um, there's certainly a lot of doom and gloom around given how quickly interest rates are rising, but. We're not seeing that translate into property market activity, at least thus far. So we saw the number of new listings on realestate.com.au up 10% in August compared mm-hmm. to July. Now, part of that's the fact that we're heading into spring. We'd expect to see activity ramp up. Spring is normally the busiest time of year and winter is among the quieter. So, you know, we're starting to see that activity ramp up. But if we look compared to say last year, we're up very strongly. It's not a totally fair comparison because Sydney and Melbourne were in lockdown, mm-hmm. as was Canberra. So. Activity last year was a bit quiet, but if we look at winter as a whole thus far, it's been one of the busiest winters in the last five or six years. So, it has been quite busy despite those rising interest rates.
3: And do you have any idea where the activity is? it coming from, uh, you know, investors or perhaps uh, from uh, owner occupiers who are uh, who are putting their houses up on market and potentially moving? Or I mean, just try to sense of uh, what's driving the uh, the. Yeah, you know, the, the 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 pick up in, in listings
4: yeah it's it's a great question to some extent we don't we don't observe from a listing you know who it is that's selling but we can observe some things and you know get some sense of where this activity is coming from so one thing we can do is look at to whom new mortgages are going this year it's been predominantly repeat owner occupiers not first home buyers which is a big change from what we saw in 2020 and 2021 when first home buyers were were really very active and that's not been so much the case this year. The other area is investors. We've seen a lot more lending to investors this year, suggesting invest- investors are buying. But we've also seen a lot of sales from investors. We, we can match up properties that were rentals with their sales activity. Mm-hmm. And what we've seen this year is that, and last year as well, is that there has been a lot of sales of what used to be rental properties hitting the market. So investors have been a, a part of, of the activity that we've been seeing.
3: And There's also been uh, quite a big increase in rents, so I guess that's partly driving uh, investor activity. I mean, does that um, bear out in your statistics as well?
4: Yeah, we've certainly seen extremely tight rental markets around the country. A number of rental listings on realestate.com.au is down something like a fifth compared to where it was last year, um, which is clearly significantly tighter. We're seeing advertised rents grow extremely briskly as a result, uh, both in capital cities and in regional areas, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. particularly so in regional areas over the past year, but increasingly in capital cities as well. Notably, we're even seeing it in places like Sydney and Melbourne, which through much of 2020 and 2021, we really didn't see much growth in rents. In fact, through 2020, rents fell quite a lot in both those cities. And in fact, advertised rents are only back to sort of the levels that they were pre-pandemic in those cities. So while they're growing quickly, the levels of them are still only back to where they were a few years ago because of that weakness early on. That's starting to bring investors back in, which we're seeing in the new lending data. Gross rental yields still remain low because, you know, as we said, rents are still actually, at least in Sydney and Melbourne, less so in regional areas. But rents are still not a long way above where they were pre-pandemic and prices clearly have increased a lot since then. So gross rental yields have fallen a long way. That's starting to change as rents grow and as prices are falling. And do
3: you have any data, I guess, you know, another indicator of, uh, I guess, of market buoyancy is how quickly properties are moving. So days on market, What's, what are the trends there in terms of uh, how quickly properties are changing hands at the moment?
4: Yeah, it, it is a great barometer of kind of the, that balance between what we can see on market and how quickly buyers are having to make decisions. What we've seen over this year is it has started to take a bit longer compared to what we were mm-hmm. seeing in spring last year or, you know, February, March this year. It's still below where it was in 2019. So, you know, coming into spring, the good news for would-be sellers is it's still pretty quick sales times, but, you know, we're talking, depending on how you measure a bit over a month, month and a half, uh, compared to, you know, more like a month earlier in the year. So things have certainly gotten longer, um, but, and there's some disparity across uh, across cities there as well. Uh, places like Adelaide are continuing to see pretty strong demand, yep. not a whole lot of supply on market and pretty short sales times as a result, whereas places like Sydney and Melbourne we've started to see it increase a bit.
3: Now early on at least uh, there has been a lot of activity in, uh, I guess, with uh, you know, sea changes or tree changes or whatever you want, that also came out of the pandemic, a lot of uh, activity in the sort of the regions around the major capital cities. Are those areas now slowing a bit with uh, in response to, I guess, the interest rates, but also perhaps some of the the momentum out of COVID has has gone and, and, and the urgency about people looking for uh, a different sort of lifestyle and work-life balance? Uh, maybe that's sort of moved on a little bit. What, what's your, what does your data there suggest about the, the, the buoyancy that some of the regions had?
4: Yeah, it's a fascinating question. And I think it's it's one of the areas I'm going to be watching really closely over the next 12 to 18 months is... You know, do we start to see that unwind, that outperformance that we mm-hmm. saw through COVID, or is this a bit of a permanent shift? At least to date, we haven't seen much in the way of unwinding. Regional areas, prices are continuing to grow a bit quicker than they are in capital cities. Um, We're still seeing prices fall in, in regional areas, and that's yep. basically because of the big headwind coming from higher interest rates. But relative to capital cities, regional areas have done reasonably well over this period. And even if we look within cities, outer areas have outperformed the inner city. So you know, in Sydney, that's places like the southwest, we've seen prices hold up better than in the inner city, places like Melbourne, that's the west and Mornington Peninsula and southeast. In Brisbane, it's Ipswich and the west In Adelaide, it's the north. So we are continuing to see a bit of that shift that we saw people moving a bit further out people looking for a bit more space. Now, whether that will continue, I think, is a, a really interesting question. My sense is some of this shift is permanent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, We're not going to continue to see regional areas outperform in the way that they have over the past couple of years. But I don't think we're going to see a big unwinding either. I think for some people, living a little bit further out, living somewhere like the Gold Coast, Sunshine Coast, Central Coast, Wollongong, is possible in a way that it probably wasn't three years ago.
3: Mm. I mean, that's interesting about... Uh the movement out to some of the outer suburbs, because that's almost reversing a decades long trend where, where all the price action was tended to be in a city uh, and in suburbs uh, very close to the CBDs. But we've seen that uh, reverse quite substantially over in the last couple of years. And if that continues, I mean, that would have, uh, you know, I think a lot of lot good news for a lot, a lot of uh,
4: homeowners. Yeah, it's certainly been a really interesting trend over the past couple of years. I think the other thing that's worth mentioning here is the fact that a lot of the sources of demand for the inner city were kind of gone through the COVID period. Mm. It was much less attractive to live in the inner city for a variety of reasons. You weren't commuting, so there was no reason to live near, for some people anyway, so there was no reason to live near train stations. All the things that make living in the inner city, all the amenities really enjoyable, things like cafes, restaurants, sporting activities, those were all closed. Those are starting to return now. And importantly, migration was basically yep. shut off through much of 2020 and 2021. You know, we know that recent migrants to Australia are much more likely to live in the inner city, which makes sense. You know, Many recent migrants are students. Many of our major universities are located in inner city areas. So it makes sense that we see those you know, demand for those um, inner city areas from those recent migrants. And we are starting to see that. If we look at rental searches on realestate.com.au, the number of searches coming from overseas is up about 70% compared to where it was last year. Now, that speaks as much to weakness last year as strength this year. You know, Clearly, there wasn't a lot of people looking for rentals in Australia at a time when Sydney, Melbourne, Canberra were in lockdown and the borders were firmly shut. But we are starting to see some strength this year as well. And we know from where they're searching that they are mostly looking for inner city areas. So yeah. we'll start to see some of that demand for the inner city come back over the next year, two years to what extent, I think is, is going to be really interesting to watch.
3: Yeah, look, it will be interesting to watch, and I guess a bit depends on whether the government can process some visas or not, but uh, that seems to be one of the issues. Look, some really interesting insights, particularly about uh, the strength of listings, and uh, perhaps the market is not as bad as some would make it out to be. So uh, that was Angus Moore, uh, an economist with PropTrack, part of the REA group. And
0: this is the show for tonight. I usually would say I'll see you on Thursday, but of course, it is a public holiday, so we won't be operating. So I'll see you next Monday. Thanks for joining us. And don't forget, if you want to know more about the kind of stocks that we like and get more detailed information and more qualified information, have a look at switzerreport.com.au. And I should add that we also will be doing Mad About Money on Wednesday. That will give you another chance for me to have a bit of a take on what's going on in the market.